Welcome to Daily Kosa's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Kos and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Eleveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Daily Kos The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Coast, along with your co-host, senior political writer, Carrie Aleveld. So just a programming note, I am, I have a cold. I have a head cold and I've taken some um, Dayquil and it seems to be holding up. So I may be able to make it through this show. I just want to make sure if I, if my audio or video sort of kind of cuts off for a while, it might be because I'm blowing my nose or sneezing or anything like that. So uh, Carrie, we're going to be talking about Georgia today. And we've spent the last few months talking about Republican on Republican violence. And today, just to be clear, campaign violence, campaign, candidate violence. Yeah. Candidate, metaphorical. Yeah. Yeah, I guess nowadays you got to be, got to be. Yeah. I mean, seriously, like there was that coup (laughs) attempt and everything. So anyway. So Republican and Republican, there's an ideological fight for the soul of the, of the Republican party. Uh, last week, we had Sarah Longwell on, who's one of these never Trump Republicans, kind of unfortunately in the minority of the party. But even the pro-Trump wing is fighting. They're all fighting each other. Right there. We've been talking about that for weeks, how major personalities in the pro-Trump conservative movement are all at each other's throats because they're terrible people. I mean, they're just horrible people. Of course, of course, they're going to turn on each other. Today, we saw. Um, David Perdue, who's running for governor in Georgia in a Republican primary against the existing incumbent sitting Republican, who is uh, Governor Brian Kemp, right? That campaign released an ad featuring Donald Trump. And we want <laughs> we're going to actually play it for you guys. Wait, wait, wait. Like, Hold on. Oh. Let, let's just before we play that ad, let's just preface this that David Perdue, who's running against incumbent GOP Governor Brian Kemp releases this ad like just days after Donald Trump went on a huge rant and was like, I'm going to pardon the January 6th, you know, seditionists and and then came out with a statement the next day saying, yeah, I absolutely intended to tur- to overturn the 2020. He used election. the words. Like, it, yeah, not, not yeah, even over- overturn overturn i tried to overturn it yeah the election right so like he 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 just like self just self-admittedly is like yeah it was a total coup attempt and i and i did i tried to do it and i'm mad about it so anyway on the heels of that david purdue is like now is the perfect time to release an endorsement (laughs) from donald trump okay so go ahead walter run the run the ad please A message from President Trump. The Democrats walked all over Brian Kemp. He was afraid of Stacey the Hoax Abrams. Brian Kemp let us down. We can't let it happen again. David Perdue, an America First conservative outsider, is the only candidate for governor endorsed by President Donald Trump. David Perdue is an outstanding man. He's tough. He's smart. He has my complete and total endorsement. Vote for David Perdue. (laughs) <laughs> Carrie, you noted this I, earlier. I threatened, I threatened before the show to make people listen to that twice. Anyway, I won't do it. 
I won't do it because you know why? Because it wouldn't be right. fair to the people who listen to this as a podcast, but they wouldn't be able to focus on the fact that Trump's eye on his right eye is like a lazy eye and there's something weird about it. And I don't think it was like that during his presidency. And it makes me wonder like what happened and why is his right eye like practically closed during the whole thing? Anyways, if you go back and watch it on YouTube, you'll notice it and it's hard not to notice it once you, you can't point it unsee out. It. Once, yeah, I, yep. you cannot unsee okay. it. Something's wrong. I, I like that, that David Perdue is an outsider, even though he was a multi-term cong- you know, congressman uh, from Georgia. <laughs> And well, um, not, just a, the, not, not just a multi-term but, and senator, right? He's spent senator. a term as a senator. Yeah. He made literally thousands of trades using insider knowledge that he got as a sitting election U.S. official, right? So he, he, the, like, he had during his campaign, which he was, you know, beat by John Ossoff, right? Democrat John Ossoff. He, he, during that campaign, like, Every day there was a new scandal about some insider piece of information that David Perdue got and used to make a stock trade on in order to line his own pockets. So he just the consummate outsider, according to Trump. But anyway, and Brian Kemp's only sin in conservative orthodoxy. It's not not ideologically. He is he is one of them. Hundred percent. The only sin was that he refused to work with uh, Trump to overturn the election. Yeah, that's it. It's it's just like what's happening with Liz Cheney in Wyoming, where they're trying to drum her out of the Republican Party, not because she's not a good enough conservative. She's a Cheney. Like their conservative bona fides are impeccable. Their their evil bona fides are impeccable. But this is now no longer a party about the Constitution or, or, you know, the flag. It's about Donald Trump love. And what is this thing about Stacey, the hoax Abram? What's that even mean? That Stacey Abrams does not exist? That she is an artificial intelligence creation? What's you, didn't that tell you, me you, were gonna, you didn't tell me you were going to ask me to interpret what Trump is <laughs> Come on. I mean, who even knows what goes through his mind? You know, like... Stacey, the hoax. Abrams. The hoax. She's real. I, I mean, <laughs> is she not real? In fact, Donald Trump endorsed Stacey Abrams against... Kemp uh, a few months ago said it would be better for Stacey Abrams to be governor than 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 Kemp. So maybe we'll get a chance to whip that puppy out. <laughs> It'd be better for Stacey the hoax to be to be governor <laughs> right. over Brian over Brian Kemp. I don't know. I mean, Dude. I I think so. I I would vote for Stacey the hoax, <laughs> quote unquote, over Brian Kemp for sure. For sure. I mean. <laughs> I mean, you know, it sounds like, you know, that 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 whole ad sounds I keep on thinking at first I was like, it's like a, it sounds like a opening to a circus where they dim the lights and then the ringleader comes on. But it actually kind of also sounds like a like a World Wrestling Federation <laughs> opening, you know, and Stacey the, the Hoax is like the Hulk, <laughs> the Hulk you know, like Stacey the Hoax. You know, she shows up with a big you. X, her, you know, her, her wrestling uniform with a big X. Poor Brian Kemp. Stacy the Hoax is coming after him. <laughs> anyway, so sorry. Oh, boy. I don't, I don't know if we intended to spend that much time on the edit itself, <laughs> but totally worth it. Totally, totally worth it. But I think that's what we have to look forward to this year. When we talk about Donald Trump bigfooting his way into racist. This is what we're talking about. There's no subtlety. There's no effort to build up the party. 
It's basically tearing down those people that he thinks wronged them in 2020. So we'll keep litigating 2020 and Mitch McConnell and uh, Kevin McCartney and all these top Republicans keep saying, oh, we need to look forward. We can't be relitigating the past. Donald Trump and his merry band of nihilists don't want to do anything but relitigate 2020. And it's giving Democrats an opportunity and opening that would not otherwise exist in a normal off-year cycle where, uh, or midterm cycle where the incumbent party in the White House is just expected to lose seats because of general malaise. And right now people are, we, we see it in polling, people are not happy with COVID. They're not happy with the federal government on COVID, right? This is affecting Joe Biden's numbers with both independents, also with Democrats. You have sort of the malaise over the lack of progress with Build Back Better, with no student debt relief, voting rights. So there, there, there's all this pressure on Joe Biden and by, by extension, the Democratic Party on, uh, on um, Joe Biden and our chances in November. And yet here's Donald Trump where literally all he had to do is shut up. All he would have to okay. do is shut up and let sort of history play guide. But instead, he needs to insert himself. And again, we, we've said it before, and I'll keep saying that the biggest genius of young, Youngkin's, Glenn Youngkin's campaign as governor of Virginia last year was to keep Donald Trump out. And same thing in New Jersey, where the Democrat, the Republican almost won. He worked hard to keep Donald Trump out. And that was a huge benefit to them. They're not nobody. There's not a Republican that's going to get that benefit this year, even in states where Donald Trump doesn't show up. Just the fact that Donald Trump is going to be so present in the news and just in the political conversation. And I mean, we've seen it this week, right, where all the Republicans have to answer to what do you think about Donald Trump saying he'll pardon the January 6 rioters? And so they all have to answer him. And he'll keep saying stupid things because that's who he is. And you're going to the narrative's going to be like, oh, now you got and they're all going to pretend, well, I haven't seen that. I haven't. Right. They're going to they're going to do they're going to play that game. But it keeps the pressure on them to answer about Trump as opposed to Joe Biden. Yeah. And what's what's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, Trump has never he like his life mission now is to prove that he didn't. I mean, he'll never be able to prove it. But like he he just cognitively has to stay on like a dog with a bone, the 2020 election and proving to everyone, even though like, you know, the clear truth is he lost the election, that there was fraud and that it was stolen from him. That's one of his biggest applause lines. If you go back and look at the rally on um, uh, in Texas this past weekend, he had like, you know, three or four big applause lines, biggest applause lines, you know, sort of his rants where people really got into it. His the MAGA, you know, his his the Trumpists, right? They they love him talking about the fraud and the election <clears throat> being stolen and whatever. So he's never going to drop that because not only is it like now, you know, his number one mission in life, but also like he doesn't drop anything that isn't a, that, that. Yeah, he's getting positive reinforcement. Yeah. Right. Totally. So but then you look at somewhere like, you know, it's nice to zero in on a place where this is happening. Right. And you look at somewhere like Georgia. You know, the, I just think about what a perfect, like, divisive thing this is, entrance into that. You know, not that Trump, Trump had already said he was going to, you know, he was going to endorse David Perdue. That was no secret. But what, what a divisive entrance this is. Like, and, you know, there are some sane-ish Republicans still out there, still out there. It's a, it's a small faction. Sarah Long, Sarah Longwell, who we had on you know, last week who we, you know, probably vehemently disagree on almost every financial thing, policy ever, 
you know, is still sane in, in that she's grounded in the Constitution and believes in a peaceful transfer of power and believes that the the party that wins the most votes should win, right? And I bet so, we can argue on facts that we can all agree are facts, and we may interpret those facts differently, right? But at right. least we're 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 we're, we're working with the same set of facts in a common universe, like we're in the same universe, right? So those so the so those sort of sanish Republicans in Georgia are going to be totally grossed out by the idea that David Perdue had Trump come in and give this big endorsement just after he was like, I'm pardoning the January 6th riders who like killed people. And, you know, and then I, and also, yeah, I told Pence, Pence should have been able to do that. And I absolutely meant to overturn the election and, you know, steal it for myself. Like that. So, so that divides them on one side. And then on the other side, you know, he's, he's totally riling his base, his base, his specific base against Brian Kemp for, Kemp for being weak and letting us down, quote unquote, you know, um, and that and and that by the time Trump is done with this particular race, right, they are going to be so they're going to be mortal enemies of each other. There's no way for him to be this involved in this race. He's the one <laughs> who recruited David Perdue to do it and to challenge Brian Kemp. And there's no way he's going to be this involved in it and not have those two, you know, GOP factions become mortal enemies of each other. And whoever wins that primary, then they are they are then the other the the losing side of that primary, they are going to be ticked off and a bunch of them will likely decide to either stay home or, you know, write in someone or whatever, you know, I mean, that is not going to be good for their general election <laughs> prospects. And this is, this is also then going to bleed into, of course, the, the effort for them to unseat Raphael Warnock, who, you know, is the Senator democratic Senator now um, who's up for reelection, trying to win a full term and was the first uh, black uh, Senator to win for the state to, to become Senator of the state. Um, that's a huge historic election for the, for um, for Dem- Democratic Georgians down there, and and the, at the same time, like this this divisiveness is going to be bleeding in. This GOP divisiveness is going to be bleeding into that race, and that is for Senate Republicans one of their very be- best pickup chances in terms of flipping a seat so that they can take over control of the Senate. The last thing they want is that divisiveness in there. And there's just, you know, it's going to just trickle right into it. There's no way that it's not going to be a huge part. And, you know, anyone who decides not to go to the polls or who gets disaffected and sort of disengages or whatever, they're not going to show up to the polls to vote for Herschel Walker either. So, you know, this is like, this is, I think, just overwhelmingly good news for the Democrats. Democrats, there are, uh, there's bad news for the Democrats too, which you sort of touched on up top. But their good news for the Democrats is the Republicans might just like manage to just implode and and really help them out in the general election. Yeah, it wouldn't be the first time that happened. They, they did the same thing with the Tea Party back in the Tea Party days where they put up a slate of, of just absolute wacko candidates and we were able to nationalize the race. And Democrats like Blanche Lincoln and Claire McCaskill, Blanche Lincoln is in, in Arkansas and Claire McCaskill is in Missouri and uh, Heidi Heitkamp in North Dakota, they were able to survive because they were the, the entire Republican Party was branded. Even even believe it or not, even Harry Reid in Nevada was in danger and polls had him losing, actually. But his candidate was just 
he was wacko tea party person old and, angle. and it made a huge difference and we are and i think joe trippy made this point right that that mm-hmm. this the the feeling there's this feeling there's this there's this climate that's starting to shape up like that day itself where where um the quality of the Republican candidates may actually drag down the entire party itself. On top of that, you have Donald Trump. On top of that, you have Donald Trump. So it, it gives us a fighting chance and it gives a, it's a good reminder to our voters. Cause the real challenge here is, is if our voters turn out, we win. We saw that in Georgia. We saw that in Arizona, even Nevada and New Hampshire. Those are the Republican Senate pickup opportunities this year, Nevada, New Hampshire, Arizona and Georgia. If our people turn out, we win. Might be close, but if our people turn out, we win. The other thing to remember is, is that Glenn Youngkin managed to do a good job of turning out Trump voters in Virginia, right? But he also didn't have a divisive primary. He, he didn't have, you know, he kept Trump sort of at arm's length and made himself, you know, palatable to sort of suburban voters, you know, the the right leaning, more sanish people that we're talking about who are dealing probably with a lot of the same facts that, you know, the rest of us are dealing with. They may interpret them differently or see, you know, have a difference of opinion about how, how we should attack those issues. But, you know, the, he he but he didn't end up alienating Trump voters because he didn't have a primary where he had to do that. That primary was basically, you know, where the Republican Party handpicked um, someone to run and they they handpicked Yunkin over at least one, if not a couple of other sort of really right leaning folks. And we saw how that worked out for Virginia Republicans with, you know, Ken Cuccinelli and a couple of other really right wing candidates that they put up, you know, over the course of a few cycles. And it didn't work out well for them at all. And so then, you know, we ended up with we ended up with Democratic governors uh, dominating that space for a while. And finally, the Republican Party was like, we got to put up someone reasonable and we're just going to kind of handpick this person and put them in place. Um, so one of the reasons that he was able to get the Trump voters energized, you know, he, he sent the right signals, but he didn't have to go after Trump's guy in order to win that primary. So, Kerry, um, where else have you seen? Because we, we've seen other Republican um on Republican attacks this week. I think you were just writing about one. And I know this is your, <laughs> this is your beat. What did I write? What this did I write? <laughs> well, this I tell you, beat. let me, let me show, well, let me show, well, let me give you a, an interesting development that I wasn't sure about. Oh, in fact, yeah, go ahead. The RNC effort to expel Liz Cheney from the, from the Republican party. Perfect. I can tie this all in because Liz Cheney just had her best ever fundraising quarter last quarter. She raised $2 million and she's out in facing, Wyoming. Like, she out buy Wyoming. Wyoming. Out in Wyoming, $2 million. I mean, I don't know how many Democrats are writing checks to Liz Cheney <laughs> and then having nightmares about it afterwards. But there might be some. There might be some, especially if you live in Wyoming, you absolutely want, I think if you're a Democrat in, in Wyoming, you want Liz Cheney over whichever, you know, cuckoo person might end up being, uh, oh, wait, we're looking. Oh, 
Apparently, George W. Bush maxed out his private donation to Cheney. Anyway, so so, yeah, I mean, there's there's money pouring in from across the country for Liz Cheney, but there's probably also some money, some grassroots money pouring pouring in, too, um, within Wyoming. And she's got like a handful of Republican rivals for that primary. Right. And the. um I'm going to. Well, I mean, that actually name. helps us. The fact that they can't even rally around one candidate. Right. Because, right. And, because well, Wyoming is a plurality state. You don't need an actual majority. There's no runoff. And Trump, Trump endorsed Harriet H- Hageman. Someone I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure that's the spelling. I mean, I know the spelling of her name, but I'm not sure that's how you pronounce it. But anyway, and she raised like, I want to say around five hundred thousand dollars. It might have been a little bit less. It might have been a little bit more. But, you know, I mean, clearly. Liz Cheney lapped her several times over. So Trump's this isn't the only race where Trump's endorsement isn't necessarily turning into, you know, a cash haul for his endorses. There's been several there were several other uh, cases where I saw that come up. And so you bring up Liz Cheney where they're trying to, you know, now, now there's a, a Trump it's just hard for me to believe how, like when I think about how many areas of the 2022 election and the Republican party, Trump has his hands now in and is like tinkering around and causing problems for them. It is just, you know, sort of unbelievable. Um, so he's, uh, he's one of his, one of his, um, you know, David Bossy, who is one of his former campaign advisors and a conservative activist uh, associated with Citizens United, which you may remember what Citizens United is, um, had that critical, you know, part of that critical legal challenge that ended up bringing up, br- making it possible through a Supreme Court ruling to bring a bunch of dark money into politics. Okay. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> he he has brought forth a uh, resolution to expel Liz Cheney from the party entirely. So he, there's the RNC, the Republican National Committee is having its uh, annual convention in Salt Lake City this weekend and or later this week. And um, he, he wants them to act on this resolution. And Ronna McDaniel, you know, it just puts her in the hot seat, right? Ronna McDaniel hasn't said what she's going to do about this, or at least she hadn't when I wrote my piece. I don't know if there's new information there, <clears throat> but whether they were going to bring up the resolution. But, you know, that's another divisive thing. Like here, the party really wants to be focused on Joe Biden and, you know, what he's quote unquote doing to the country, you know, that type of thing. But they've just got this constant cloud hanging over them. Like it's a, just, you know, rains on like every parade they're trying to have. So, you know, I mean, what, I don't know what they're going to do about this. Trump is going to be really ticked off if they don't expel Liz Cheney from the party. Um, and, you know, and Ron McDaniel has to figure out how to try to not navigate that landmine and they might end up expelling her. And I bet you her donations go up even more after that. So, yeah, you know, it's not like she loses her seat if you get expelled from the party. No. So it's a very symbolic measure. And it's basically it's a big tantrum. And I know there's been efforts like the the Arizona Democratic Party sort of expelled Kirsten Sinema. And, and it, there's a cathartic feeling to it, I guess. But it really doesn't mean anything. And there, there's a real divide in the Republican Party right now that is based on ideology, right? You're either pro-Trump and anti-democracy or you're anti-Trump, pro-democracy. Like, that's a huge divide 
and it doesn't didn't need to exist, right? This is 100% artificially created by Donald Trump to justify his, his fragile ego at having lost to Joe Biden. He still can't get over the fact that he lost to Joe Biden. So now there's this incredible um, fight over, over what is the soul of the party. And the Democratic Party doesn't have an ideological battle right now. We had one in the primary, you know, the Warren Bernie wing versus the Joe Biden Bloomberg wing. And, and okay, Joe Biden won. And that's it. People have sort of moved on. People that are complaining about Joe Biden aren't complaining that he's too conservative. They're just like, why doesn't he, why doesn't he do student loan debt relief, right? I mean, it's, it's a frustration at a lack of additional work. It's not an ideological opposition. So it's a different kind. And we've seen the primaries we've seen so far as they start, you know, it's early in the cycle, of course, but so far, none of them are really based on ideology. It's, it's based on, on personalities. I think yeah, I'm the best little, candidate because yeah, I have more experience. It's, okay. And it's a l- little bit more stylistic, right? You know, you've yeah. got Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania versus John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. And I, you know, I haven't followed, I know a little bit about each candidate. I'm not an expert on either of them, but you know, Connor Lamb is sort of your more, more mild mannered, you know, middle of the road sort of dude. And, and uh, John Fetterman is, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but just, you know, he's a little like he's a little rougher around the edges. You know, he's kind of this big guy and he's like kind of brashly says what he what he thinks. And he's you know, he doesn't spend a lot of time thinking about like how artful this or that or the other thing is. And I mean, that's my feel of, for him. I don't know if you have a, a, a more, you know, insider. I mean, Fetterman take. is it's like if WWE like, you know, somebody jumped out of the out of the ring yeah. With a with a victory belt and said, "I'm a Democrat." <laughs> you know? It's like, okay, <laughs> great, <laughs> welcome. Uh, he he defies stereotypes. Cutter Lamb is a, is a basic, run of the mill, moderate politician. Uh, he seems perfectly fine. A little too conservative, maybe for my taste, but not in an offensively like obstructionist way, like like you know Joe Manchin has been lately. And so. Um, if nothing else, he and he's, he seems pretty progressive, and he's he's pro eliminating the filibuster. So that that's that's a big gain. So so we have Paul Glaze right. joining us. Uh, in fact, let's bring him on. Paul is the strategic communications manager for New Georgia Project. Paul Glaze, I don't have your bio because this is this is a last minute uh, um, switchover. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Paul Glaze. I'm an organizer in Georgia. I worked during the runoffs. I've been working for several years, um, various coalitions. I came up through the um, uh, through an organization called Galeo in Georgia, which is the Georgia Association of Latino Elected Officials. Um, I had the great privilege to go to college in a heavily undocumented community right at the time when a lot of the DACA kids were going to college for the first time. Um, and they got me into community organizing. And I am the strategic communications manager for the New Georgia Project and New Georgia Project Action Fund. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. And we're actually legitimately, I think, Carrie, you too. We're excited to have you on because we love talking to people that are on the ground and have that on the ground experience. Mm-hmm. We alternate between people in leadership, but we also love to get people who actually have some like, you know, dirt under their fingernails, you know, who are down in the, on, so in the you, trenches, in, in the, the trenches. trenches. So, so this is perfect. I'm, I'm glad you were able to join us. Uh, loving it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what New Georgia Project does, just so people have a general understanding? I know the Stacey Abrams organization, they, they, that's like the overarching thing everybody knows, but a little more detail, a little more meat into what you guys do. And if you could sort of tie that into what you guys did in the Georgia Senate runoffs in January 2021, because I, I suspect 
you guys had a big role in those victories. Uh, we, we did, and we are proud of that. Uh, so the New Georgia Project was founded in 2014 by Stacey Abrams. Um, Stacey Abrams then um, uh, has not had a role in the organization since 2017. Uh, we, and we started off as a voter registration-centric org. Um, so in that time period from then to now, we have registered uh, over 600,000 people to vote uh, here in the state of Georgia. Um, and then um, one of the few really good developments that came from uh, a Governor Kemp uh, was a kind of quasi-automatic voter registration that happened. Um, and during that time, we've now also ramped up our issues-based organizing um, and our civic engagement work generally. So we have 11 different issues-based organizing campaigns from reproductive justice and environmental justice uh, over to uh, raising the minimum wage, um, getting young people involved. And we're actually starting a new one this month uh, on calling for full student debt uh, abolition. Um, so we're excited about that. Um, and then that led uh, up to, uh, of course, the 2020 uh, election and 2021 runoff, uh, during which time we knocked on over 2 million doors, or I should say we knocked doors over 2 million times because you never want to actually, like, we don't believe in off years. Uh, we, you know, so last year it's municipals. We're still out there knocking hundreds of thousands of doors, talking to people. Um, so you don't want to have just a knock on the door and that's it. So we have multiple conversations with people. Our goal is to maintain that connection because the only way people want to stay engaged in this stuff, given how uh, you know dark and crazy it can be, um, is if they know that you're someone that's going to be there the whole time, that whenever they have a question, they can reach back out to you. So that's really what we focus on now. Um, and for this year, our goal is to turn out 150,000 new first-time voters, new, um, new voters, uh, and actually, it's the youngest universe of voters that we've ever targeted. About half of them are below the age of 40. Um, actually, a little bit more than that. Then I think the number is actually below 35. Um, and register an additional 50,000 people to vote. Um, so it's a it's a heavy year for us. Um, but you know we're excited and we're up to it and we're actually very optimistic. And you know we always have people. I see people in the comments. Uh, you know I see this. Um, uh, sometimes on Twitter, but people are always wondering, well, how do we get engaged? What can we do right now? Right. Who should I give money to? And they're thinking about candidates, mm-hmm. organizations like the new Georgia project. So where can they go to donate to you guys? This is why, this is why your money is so well spent with an organization that's on the ground that doesn't just come and then leave. If they happen to lose that election, they're there no matter what, <laughs> right. Win or lose. They're there. So, um, uh, where can where can people go to like to to give you guys some money, help you guys turn out more voters and and uh, sign up some more uh, new nude registries? Absolutely. So we have a C3 and a C4 side. If you go to www.newgeorgiaproject, all spelled out, .org, uh, that's where you can donate. I would also encourage people to go to www.ngpaf, which is New Georgia Project Action Fund, .org, uh, and become a member. Uh, we are growing a member program there. We want to make sure that we're keeping volunteers engaged uh, and that everyone is pulling together. One of the most beautiful things about the 2021 in January runoff was the sheer amount of help uh, that people were giving us from all over. Uh, I was a, a deputy campaign manager for uh, um, the third race on the ballot. Um, and even still for this public service commission race, we had whole coalitions of progressives in Maine and Hawaii reaching out saying, what can we do? We had people that lived in Northern Florida saying, Hey, do you mind? Can like, can we come and knock doors in South Georgia? What, you know, like, how can we help? Um, and quite frankly, you have given the people of Georgia an opportunity to decide their own future. 
Uh, it is a debt that we do not anticipate we will be able to repay anytime soon, although we're trying. Uh, okay. we, we, we're, we're not going to pull That's our down payment. That's <laughs> our, uh, you know, we, we, we appreciate it. And, uh, um, but that is absolutely, please do go to those websites. Um, we, it is in Georgia, the organizations are largely the people that are doing the work. Um, and that is uh, both to be as culturally competent and relevant as we can and make sure that it is people from the communities that we are hiring, that they can go back to talk to their communities. Um, but that's also just because, you know, we don't have the, uh, the cynicism that comes from being a, like a party apparatus thing uh, that people in Georgia really, frankly, don't have any experience with like a, a powerful Democratic Party that can get stuff done. They don't know what that looks like. Uh, and so it's really important uh, that it's coming from these independent places. So for context, um, I, I, I mean, I, I always love to talk about this. Um, Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton by about 500,000 votes in Georgia in 2016. And then Trump added another 350,000 or so votes mm-hmm. to his total. And so you think that, you know, in any sane, normal, regular year, that, that means that Trump got it nailed, right? But of course, it turns out that you guys um, increased turnout by... I used to have these numbers at the top of my head, but by about a third, right? You, you right. brought out an extra 500,000 new voters to the polls. You talk about how you registered six or 700,000 of those new voters. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you are the margin of victory in a lot of ways. And you're not standing still. You're still looking ahead and trying to register voters. And so my question is that the, the, the conventional wisdom, and it's borne out by history, is that the party in power loses excitement, in that first midterm mm-hmm. election, right? The average loss is 30 plus House seats for the party that is in the White House in their first midterm. And, and it's because people get complacent or they're frustrated at lack of action. I know New Georgia Project actually boycotted Joe Biden when he went down to, to Atlanta to talk about voters' rights. So there's this sort of bit of, of anger, seething anger. Of course, now we got COVID and, you know, and Ukraine and Afghanistan. You have all mm-hmm. these challenges that make it tough. You're out there on the streets talking to people. And yep. you're trying to register an extra 200,000 new voters. What is that sentiment on at the ground level? Because, and maybe this is going to be your answer, but you probably have the best one-two candidate combo in the entire country right now with Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock, right? I don't think every, I think every yeah. state would kill to have that combo. Absolutely. Um, I think that, so we, we do a lot of research. We try and ground everything we do in research. Um, and the polling that we've done uh, shows that, uh, particularly amongst black voters in Georgia, that they believe that the power of the vote uh, is higher and it's higher here than it is in a lot of other places. In many ways, we are those victories. uh, It's one of the unfortunate things when you win, then people believe more is possible. Um, So the challenge for us right now is not necessarily convincing people that their vote matters. They can see their vote matters. That was Uh, last time. Right. But that was last time. And, you know, again, frankly, we are talking about, um, uh, communities that have never had someone in their corner on that level that they could that they could rely on. Um, and so right now we're trying to make sure, A, that we are um, uplifting the tangible victories that their votes did bring. You know, so when we talk about infrastructure money coming down, what is that getting in your community? You know, so for instance, in Columbus, Georgia, they're using infrastructure money um, and American Rescue Plan money to build affordable housing. So that's something that they accomplished with their vote. And we have to show the power of their votes in that way. I'll say, you see that? I mean, it's, it's a link yeah. clear because we've also seen polling that shows that people don't make that link. And then you have Republican office holders trying to take credit. 
we see this everywhere. And, and Governor Kemp is now currently trying to take that. In fact, he hasn't spent any of the federal money that's come down. And what's really insulting about it, actually, is that the state of Georgia has held on to hundreds of millions of dollars for, say, eviction prevention and rental assistance, and they won't give it out. They're just holding on to it and saving it back, either banking on the fact that maybe one day we won't pay attention or that they can send it back to the federal level, just like with Medicaid expansion. Um, so I do think that people uh, I think we got to give people more credit. Um, I think they do see those things, but we have a lot of work to do to make sure that we are putting that message out there. I try and remind people that uh, communications and politics, if you are not pushing your message, it does not exist out there. And people will slowly, maybe slowly, but they will default to the only voices in the room. So I think our, our senators here are doing a really good job. Uh, when they released past those bills, they put out, this is what this means for, this is the money going to each and every major city and county. Um, they're going around the state. They're highlighting their wins. Um, and I think now it's on organizations like New Georgia Project, and it's on candidates down the ballot to connect the platforms of those positions they're running for to how to make those victories more real and tangible. What's So I, I'm going to drill down on just, I think this is sort of along the lines of where uh, Marcos was heading, but I'm going to drill down on this just a little bit more. Like, what's the mood on the ground, right? What's the, because you said you were polling people. You, you have a mm-hmm. sense of where they are. What's the mood on the ground right now? Um, do they, you know, voting rights hasn't gone, you know, the way you guys have wanted, um, especially, I mean, it hasn't gone the way any Democrats mm-hmm. wants it to go. Most Democrats, there's, there's two. <laughs> right. Particu- <laughs> right. Particularly invested in that, though, particularly invested in that fight, I think, for your group. Um, and, you know, and a handful of other groups that decided to boycott President Biden's um, voting rights speech there in Atlanta. Um, so and, but then there's you know, there's other things. There's these wins, right? These mm-hmm. these um, these uh, legislative wins that you're talking about. But from a, from the standpoint of justice. Right. Which is, I right. think, really what you guys are focused on. You know, I mean, you can call it economic justice to get some of these investments from, you know, roads and bridges yeah. and infrastructure and stuff like that. But, you know, voting rights is a justice issue. I think, you know, rights under the law, um, having a say in in how the law is applied, you know, is a justice issue. Um, how, how do people feel there and how do you think uh, potentially have, you know, what, what looks to be at this point um, going to be a, a nom- nominated and confirmed uh, the first black female Supreme Court justice, how do you see those things playing into um, the feeling for people? Uh, so I think again here, and this is, I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, slide by anything. Um, I think we got to give voters a little bit more credit. Um, so one of the things is uh, the, the battle for voting rights has been a generational battle. And particularly for black voters in the deep South, uh, our, our people are used to setbacks in this process. That is, this is not the first time that has happened. Uh, the vote on MLK Day was the first voting rights vote of 2022. There is nothing written in stone that says it has to be the last. It was the fourth of President Biden's tenure. So we know that we're pushing forward. We think that getting the actual yeses and nos on the record so we can 100% say those are the issues. And if they're not coming to the table on something, then let's not waste our time on this right now. I think that that is a clear victory for us and for our voters to do, be able to say, like, no, we're going to make sure everyone has to come to the record on this. The other part of it, I would say, though, um, is that it's just a really tough situation when you are a uh, constituency and a coalition of people 
um, that doesn't have control at the state level, doesn't have the numbers on the state level to pass legislation on the state level. And so our only opportunity to reinforce the belief that the vote is the mechanism by which we should be engaging and deciding what kind of society we want, uh, it's got to come from that federal level. I would say from our conversations with people on the ground, from what our um, organizers have been telling me um, and, you know, from those conversations and then from me getting out there, I think that people are coming around to, okay, time for another big fight. You know, it's, I think we're, I think everyone is ready for it. I think we're going to get there. Um, And I don't want to be, I don't want to be pessimistic about it because we know, we know how to do it and we can do it again. Um, I would just, it is sometimes delicate because the coalition that delivered all those, uh, all those votes and that increase that you were talking about, Marcos, it's not just New Georgia Project. We're talking about Galeo. We're talking about Mahinte. We're talking about Glar. We're talking about Asian Americans advancing justice. Uh, the uh, AAPI community of South Forsyth County uh, came out at 77%, which is just insane for a single community. And so it, it really is a large coalitional effort. Um, and it, it, some of the communities, I think, are a little more distressed than others. Um, you know, uh, right now the president is... Uh, I guess not speaking out against the fact that Department of Homeland Security wants to build the largest ice facility in the country in Georgia, um, in Folkestone. Um, and like, that ain't going to help, you know, <laughs> this, this, and that's it really like, that's where, that's where we're at. Like, we know we can do this. Uh, we think it is offensive to tell us to out organize voter suppression and out organize white supremacy. We have been doing that the whole time. Uh, we, we have been there and our people and the voters that we represent have an intimate understanding of that process. So they didn't need to be told that. But at the same time, uh, if we could, you know, uh, lessen some of the self owns uh, and make it harder, <laughs> you know, that that wouldn't go unrecognized and unappreciated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to make your point, the runoff system in Georgia, which is a it's it's unique in the Senate, I believe. That runoff system where you needed to get 50%, if not, you went to a January runoff, was designed specifically to make sure that black candidates could not win office. It was It's rooted, essentially, in white supremacy. And so when neither Ossoff nor, nor uh, Warnock got 50%, the conventional wisdom was, okay, the Republicans are going to win both. So, yeah, you, you already have defied conventional wisdom in history. Right. In the very design of the system to keep certain people from voting. And you guys overcame that, which is what makes the runoff election such a moment. I don't think people realize just how momentous that was, that it overcame not just, you know, the voter suppression, not just the system, not Donald Trump being Donald Trump, but also a, a, I don't know, the cynicism in the electorate that said, no, we're not, we're not going to win. And then you look at sort of that southeast, southwestern black counties, those rural black counties, and you mm-hmm. saw how the vote went up in a runoff. Oh, unprecedented. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I haven't gone back 200 years, right? But as far back as I went, it's it, well, it was 200 years ago, our people didn't have the right to vote. So exactly. You know, you're not, you don't have to go back that far. And, and so, yeah, you, you, you have, def- as a state and as a people and as a, as a movement and organization, you have defied that conventional wisdom, which what gives me a lot of hope for this year. Um, so I heard you say earlier, that, or maybe, you know, I actually interjected a bit that you no longer have to convince people that you can win. Right. That itself must be a huge advantage as you move forward, right? It is. No, it definitely is. And I, it, it, it very much felt like last year, the minute that the minute we knew this was going to a runoff, 
there was a collective just kind of societal across the state like all right this is our shot this is what we got history history gave us this let's go um now the question is more one of uh, uh valuation right it's like how much effort is worth ultimately voting rights not passing or xyz and some of that is you know i think a little unfair to the complexity of the system you know and the complexity of how hard it is to get these massive things done um but also again we just did one of those massive things and so you're not really going to be able to convince people uh you know that, count. yeah yeah exactly like um, I will say that something you brought up just now that I think is really important to remember is that we are dealing with an apparatus, uh, a power apparatus here that is incredibly uh, proficient and complex in its understanding of how to rig the game. Right. So like right now, there's a lot of this uh, conversation around voting rights centers on this idea that it's like someone not counting the ballots. Right. Right. Like it's like something over here in this back room on the actual administration of the election we have a system here where they pass laws ahead of time in broad daylight that are designed to disproportionately impact our people. They don't have to worry about it at that point. They already set it up and that's how they like doing it. Um, so I think for us, uh, we know that we can do it. I think our voters know they can do it right now. We are kind of getting a feeling from a lot of people of like, all right, all right, talk to me into the summer. Like, I know we're going to have to do this again, but you know, g- give me my, give me the first half of the year, please. Like there's a bit of that. Um, but I do think people know the stakes um, I know that people are motivated. We keep, you know, we're asking them, we're putting out research, uh, we're getting, making sure that we're in the field. Um, and one thing that's incredibly encouraging, uh, Atlanta Journal Constitution poll just came out last week, um, has Warnock with a plus 19 approval rating uh, amongst independents. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. It is. So it is highly possible, and I don't want to bank on this, and we're not going to bank on this by any means. But it's highly possible that what we're seeing right now is a conversation guided by the people that are most partisanly invested and not necessarily the average voter that doesn't identify with either party, because that's the largest block of voters in the country and especially younger people who we need to turn out. And that is not to say that there's not a clear partisan choice. One is a criminal caucus and one is trying to have a democratic society. So Literally. You know, we're, we're not yeah, not trying to make any false equivalencies there. But I think as, as those independents get involved uh, there is a clear choice here. They're going to go for the decent people. They like we really do have to like have some faith uh, that uh, the average person, if given a fair shot, you know, is going to come through on the choice between people barely concealing their white supremacy and the pastor of MLK's church. You know, there's a that's a that's a clear distinction. So you put something on my radar that wasn't there, which is this ICE detention facility that they want to open, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And you said that President Biden hasn't spoken out about that. What are other things that you think could help energize people that could make them say it was worth it for me to vote, not just because Republicans haven't done bad things, but because some things that I really wanted or needed to happen have happened? Um, And I know that you said there is, you know, some of those things did happen. Um, Getting checks to help get through the pandemic was one of them, you know, that type of thing. But um, if you if if there were, you know, two or three things that you could see the Biden administration do, whether it's uh, symbolic or whether it's, you know, an actual order, what would you what would you be advocating for? Put yourself in the Oval Office. You're in the Oval Office and you say, President Biden, do these things. (laughs) What are they? Okay, so um, the first one is just a warning, which is uh, please do 
follow your word and appoint the first black woman justice of the Supreme Court. But let's not lean into that so hard that it begins to look like your representational out. That can't happen and it will offend people here. And there's nothing I can do and nothing New Georgia Project can do to change that at that point in time. What do you Um, mean by that? What I mean is that uh, that's a promise that was made. And, you know, we believe the president when the president says that uh, he's a man of his word. um, And we look forward to seeing that historic moment happen. But we are still ultimately talking about a situation in which whoever this person is who will be incredibly qualified that gets on there will be in the minority. So this is not something that's going to be able to deliver tangible victories in the meantime. The most we're talking about is like, you know, greater awareness of certain cases and things as Roe v. Wade decisions come down and such. So important. But if you lean into it too hard, then it sounds then it feels like a distraction to normal voters. Um, The second thing would be, um, yeah, on the on the uh, uh, Latino organizing side. There's a lot of reasons for this, and it is complicated, and I'm not trying to lay this all at the feet of the president because it is forces beyond his control often as well. But we have more people in ICE detention now than we did under Trump. And that's not just because that Trump was deporting them at a higher rate, right? And it's, uh, it's very hard to square that with organizers who are the people that are going to go out and get the vote out uh, with the rhetoric that was said on the trail. Um, and the third thing is, look, student loan relief. This is a... This is a problem for everyone. It affects Georgians disproportionately. We have one of the top five highest uh, per capita rates in the country. It affects black women more than anyone else. And you have a whole generation of people that paid their, did, paid their loans, did the whole thing right, because that's what they were told what they were needed to do. And now they're seeing their kids not able to get ahead in life or not able to buy a house because this just kept atrophying and getting worse until now we're at this large point. And it doesn't help when the White House's internal study on if they can do it or not gets completely redacted. So anything that the president can do that is a direct administrative thing that we don't think is going to get held up in the courts too bad, we absolutely encourage him to do so. Um, The other, you know, but also we just got to get on the trail. We have to make our case uh, and we have to make sure that when we're doing that, we are using that uh, using the focus that comes from a presidential visit to uplift those people and not the other way around which quite frankly, there were, there were people that thought that that is what that felt like in early January. Yeah. I would argue it doesn't even, he shouldn't even consider what the courts are going to do. We have hostile courts. Right. Uh, so one is they may strike everything down, but at least you're communicating what your values are and you're, you're communicating right. to people the importance of winning the majorities in the Senate so that we can uh, expand the Supreme court and, mm-hmm. uh, and create a, a fair court. Uh, and two, you never know what the court wand, child tax credit. If I could wave a magic wand, yeah. child, I mean, like my sister got through last year because of the child tax credit. That was like, a no brainer. Yeah. It, no, I mean, it drives me crazy. And you make the argument that they want to take that away from you, but we'll, we'll protect it. And you have a hell of a campaign, uh, campaign uh, promise to work with. How do you think uh, Roe v. Wade is going to play, assuming that the Supreme Court strikes it down as expected this summer? So the AJC poll was also really interesting because it showed that 70 percent of Georgians, and this is all Georgians, this is not just our polling on black Georgians, oppose a complete turnover of Roe v. Wade. That's in Georgia. We are a very Christian state. Right. Like there's there's about there's 30 to 40 percent of people that say don't touch it at all. There's 30 to 40 percent of people that to some degree, maybe they're not really well read in. Like there's a lot of men here that, you know, like uh, just say some really cringy things while they're talking about it. But they're pretty. But they're also saying, like, look, if the mother's life's in danger, I would never 
I would never say that's not my business. That's not my business in the first place. Like that's their body. There's a whole group in the middle like that, that don't want to see a complete overturning. You know, it doesn't feel like it's a very hopeful situation right now. I expect as with most of these other decisions that they're going to push back. Look, everything right now is being pushed onto a state's rights frame. They, they don't want to handle it on the federal level. They're trying to erase people's ability to believe that the federal government can deliver solutions or protect them. So they're going to push it down to the state levels where they have an easier time suppressing the vote, where they have an easier time rigging the game. Um, and, you know, they have control of the courts in a lot of places. So I do think I think we do expect to see a major rollback. I am hopeful that people will find their humanity and not uh, go too far, even though anything is too far. But I will also remind people that the Supreme Court has its own legitimacy to protect. Uh, and the people in the American, you know, American people right now do not uh, necessarily view them with much respect. And I don't think that uh, throwing half of the population uh, into danger and taking away their constitutional rights is necessarily going to help that cause. Can I can I just add a quick ask a quick follow up on that? And I'm sorry, I don't know this off the top, but is Georgia a state that has one of those trigger laws where, yes, where abortion immediately becomes uh, illegal if um, if Roe is gutted? Yes, we do. And I, I off the top of my head, I can't remember if it is six, eight or 12 weeks. Um, I think it might be six or eight. And, you know, we have an automatic trigger there, which, of course, people will immediately, you know, sue and appeal. Um, but we have a Georgia State Supreme Court that it has to go to first. And, you know, the judicial system looks less and less like a, a viable path in many of these in many of these cases. Yeah, right. Um, and just a reminder that that many people don't even know they're pregnant at six weeks. You know, I right. mean, and, and, eight, and even eight weeks, sometimes people don't know they're pregnant. You know, if you're not really paying close attention, it's easy. It's easy it, to miss. Yeah, so. no. And that's and that's where that's where they're going with it. Um, I will say that um, we are. I'm a little bit hopeful right now because it seems as if Governor Kemp uh, is trying to turn the temperature down in some ways on several things. David Ralston, who's the uh, head of the House of Representatives here, older white man, Republican, has said, we're not going to move anything on this until after this decision. There is no point in trying to do anything more or less like and pushing this. And I'm hopeful that the Supreme Court decision will come down after legislative session uh, so that we at least have the rest of this year. Uh, without any additional restrictions put on it from the state legislature. That's not a matter of goodwill, though, right? I just, just Right, no, like, that's, a, that's a matter of political expediency. But, you know, exactly. frankly, I will take any positive impact at this point. And I, I apologize for being at that point in my life. But, you know, <laughs> I, live, I live in Georgia. This is, so. <laughs> this, is, this is not a good issue for Republicans trying to win the suburbs. I mean, you know, right. among other, like, the sub, it's, not, it's not a good issue for them winning a lot of people, but a lot of people were never going to vote for them anyways. But it's a terrible issue for them with swing voters in the suburbs. And they, they are, I, I think a lot of Republicans are actually very afraid of this issue and this ruling coming down um, mm -hmm. this summer. Anyway, sorry. And, and David Ralston has also said, uh, he said multiple times now on the record, if 2022 becomes a rehash of 2020, he believes the Republican Party in Georgia is going to get destroyed. <clears throat> well, we just saw the ad. We played it on this show. It's it's already becoming a rehash of 2020, right? That hilarious ad with the Trump with the lazy eye. <laughs> Did you see yeah, that one? So all we can, so all we can do, like as, <laughs> as New Georgia Pride and, and organizers, all we can do is like, watch in like just like a little bit of schadenfreude of just like yeah it must suck watching your party get destroyed from the inside of course like kemp is the person who let this element into the party originally so there's also a degree of like you made the bed we all told you this would happen 
<laughs> Sorry, man. Like, Paul, we're out of time, but I'm going to give you one last chance to, to uh, tell people what they can do to help out New Georgia Project in their efforts to win this November's elections. Absolutely. Please, uh, the uh, URL is down here on the bottom of the screen. Go to newgeorgiaproject.org. Uh, we absolutely, uh, we need uh, your time. We need your donations. Uh, we need your support. Amplifying stuff on social media. We're building out our campaigns right now. Uh, and we do have a new membership program uh, so if you would like to join that and help us keep an eye on these county boards of elections that are getting taken over, help us make sure we're getting the word out. We will take all the help we can. Uh, and we thank you on behalf of the Peach State. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. It was a real pleasure. And thanks for coming on last minute and for being flexible, given all the scheduling issues. No, absolutely. appreciate you. That was great. Carrie, we are out of time. <laughs> so I want to hear the ad again. Play the ad. Play the ad. Again. <laughs> but that is our show for the week. Carrie, thank you so much for being such an amazing and wonderful co-host as always. Thanks to uh, Paul for joining us. Uh, Paul was fantastic. Fantastic. He's, he's, I got. I actually got a lot of new stuff out of that. That was great. So anyway, really yes. appreciate him coming so on. Totally excited. So if you're enjoying the show, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating wherever you get your podcast or on YouTube. If you're watching it here on YouTube, you can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at Daily Coast. Thanks to Walter Einenkel for producing, Kara Salaya for promoting, doing the social media magic and everyone else on the Daily Coast brief team. Thank you, the listener and the reader however you're consuming this podcast, for being in this fight with us. This is an incredibly important year. This year is everything. Our democracy is on the line, and we're so glad to have you fighting with us side by side. Until next week, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at Daily Coast. See you next week.